Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us that God will judge man according to truth, according to man's accumulated guilt, and according to his deeds. Today we'll see the fourth principle, that God will judge man impartially according to light. Romans chapter 2. I would like to read from verse number 11 uh, down to verse number 16. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day... When God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for reminding us of the cross. That between us and the world has come the cross. And what a defining experience that has been for us. And what a difference it has made in our lives. The Apostle Paul said in his writings, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. It was a life transforming experience for Paul and it should be for us. Lord, to just think that you love sinners, that you would care for us enough to divest yourself of your son. To send him down to a world that was cursed. And a world that cursed him. A world that hated him. And a world that crucified him. Yet even while suffering on the cross. He could say. Father forgive them. They know not what they do. Where can such love be found? Where can such grace be discovered is at the cross and we thank you Lord for reminding us this morning through song of that vital event that changed the world divided the world's history into two before Christ and after Christ it was such a significant event for those who do not know him I pray this morning Lord that they would be prompted and prodded by your word to consider the claims of Christ in their lives. And for those of us who already know him, may we desire a closer walk, a closer relationship. And may we understand our responsibility to give out the glad tidings to those who have never heard the gospel. 
May we not grow weary and tired in the ministry of reconciliation. Pointing men to Christ, speaking to men, and trying to compel them to come in. May this be our ambition. May this be our goal. May this be our passion. Wake us up, O Lord, and help us to remind ourselves that men are still lost. Men are still in danger. And that we have been given the responsibility of carrying the glad tidings to them. Thank you so much for Christ. Thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for those who are here this morning. And we pray that you will have a work done in our ministry. And as the gospel go forth and the word go forth, it would have its desired effect. We ask now for help. We ask for assistance. And we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to preach your word with authority, with power, with wisdom, with simplicity, and Lord, with compassion. May you be pleased this morning to honor the preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What I want to do this morning is to pick up where we left off in the book of Romans and take up in chapter 2 where we left off in this chapter. Now remember that this Roman epistle is without doubt one of the greatest, if not the greatest, literary and theological work that Paul has written. It's called by many scholars his magnum opus, his great work. And this epistle deals with some of the greatest themes that the human mind could ever wrestle and grapple with. Uh, such themes as the divine wrath of God. Now, by the way, you only come into a church like this and you hear about wrath. I would ask any of you who've been watching television for the last five years to see if there's any message that is preached on television that talks about wrath. It doesn't exist. We are living in an age where all men want to be is to be happy and uh, they want people to entertain them. They want preachers to tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. Consequently, we have such large ministries uh, and so many mega churches bursting at the scenes with thousands upon thousands. But you know why that has happened? Because they're not preaching what the word of God said they should preach. It's all about pop psychology. How to feel well. How to do sermons. See. But hardly any mention on the great major themes that we find in scripture. The wrath of God. Human guilt. That's what Paul deals with. Human. When last have you heard a, a, a sermon about human guilt? See. That man is guilty before God. Really guilty before God. See. And because man is really guilty before God, he's under divine wrath. Tell me when last you've heard that on television. It doesn't exist. See. It is all about, I'm okay, you're okay, God is okay, we're all okay. See. No need to worry. Be happy. See. That's what we hear. And then the matter of coming judgment. Coming judgment. This is what we'll be dealing with in chapter 2. The idea is that Paul is emphasizing in chapter 2 that man is on the wrath and the day is coming when God will hold man accountable for his guilt and God will judge man. And the apostle Paul in chapter 2 begins to talk about the principles by which God is going to judge man. 
But Paul is not one that only deals with wrath and deals with human guilt and coming judgment. All that Paul preaches on this subject leads up to another great theme that we must grapple with. It's about the whole matter of God's amazing salvation in Christ. He wants us to understand that we are guilty and condemned and under wrath of God that we may do what? Flee the wrath to come. See? That's Paul's method of evangelism. Bring man under so much guilt that he is brought to his knees where he turns to God and says, what do I do then? And then when that is all done, we point him to the cross and say, that's the answer, sir, to your guilt, to divine wrath, and to your problems. And then after Paul deals with the whole matter of eternal, matter of the saving gospel, he talks about eternal security. There's no, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And we, we'll come to that eventually in chapter number five. And then we'll come to a theme that I think all of us are searching for. How do you live a victorious life after you become a Christian? And we'll come to chapter 6. Where Paul says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. And in chapter 6, Paul will explain to you in meticulous detail. God's method by which you can have victory and live successfully in Christ. You don't have to be an addict. You don't have to be one that is totally controlled by some besetting sin or some heavy weight. You can have deliverance. And Paul will tell you how that can be done. And by the way, this is the only way in chapter 6 how we can have victory in our Christian lives. And I can't wait until we get there uh, so that we can understand that God has a method. Uh, that can give you victory over every addiction that you have. Now I know today, uh, Christians no longer believe the Bible. I repeat, they no longer believe the Bible. They hear the Bible, they read the Bible, they talk about the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible because they believe the psychologists have got the answer. So when our kids got problems, and our children got problems, and our family got problems, the first thing we did, we rushed them off to the psychiatrist. Could I say, tell you something? The psychiatrist ain't got no answer. Where were the psychiatrists a hundred years ago? They didn't exist. Is the world in a better state now than it was then? Morally or spiritually? Listen, we've got so many psychologists that I guess they must be going to each other. You know what happens with people in, in school now, huh? When they go to secondary school... And they can't, they don't get any amount of certificates where they can do anything else. Guess what they go to university to do? Everybody's doing psychology. Everybody's doing psychology. And what has happened with that is that the church has imbibed that. I I can get off on this and I don't want to get off on it because I I wish I could explain to you what is happening. And the, the infiltration within the church of Jesus Christ as a result. And it has happened because the Christian no longer believe this this, this, this Bible. Because in chapter 6, Paul explains to you very clearly how you can, look, no sin shall have any power over you. It is broken. And you can live in victory. But you sit there, you say, oh, hum, I heard that before, Pastor. Here's your problem. You have heard it, but it was not mixed with faith. And unless you take the word of God and there's an element of faith that you can appropriate that and claim it, it will never have any impact on your life. All the hearing in the world 
can never have an impact in your life. It's the doing of the word, the application of the word that will bring transforming uh, experiences in your life. Well, those are some of the great themes that Paul deals with. But in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uh, has been highlighting the whole matter of God's judgment. If you were to be one that is very meticulous and you would go through the chapter 2, you'll find that over 10 times in 29 verses, the word judge or judges or judgment is used 10 times. You will also find that the word wrath is used three times. And add to that, the word indignation, tribulation, and anguish is used three times. You take a composite of that and 16 times in 29 verses, you have the, the theme of divine wrath and judgment. So you, when you come to chapter 2, you don't have to ask, what is Paul talking about? Look at the key word that he keeps emphasizing and bombarding again and again. It's all about judgment and the principles by which God judges man. So we, we have dealt with that and we've drawn that to your attention. And we've seen so far that God's principle of judgment are not arbitrary, they're not prejudicial. Paul points out they're very objective and very consistent. And we've looked at three of these principles already uh, in our sermon. You remember the first sermon we looked at in connection, we saw that God's judgment is according to what? You forgot. According to truth. Truth. Now you see the problem we have as preachers? By the time I finish preaching this sermon this morning, I meet you tonight and I ask you what I said, you can't tell me. So, so we wonder sometimes, what is the benefit of preaching? Honestly, you, you really wonder what you spend so many hours crafting a sermon, looking for illustrations, searching all kinds of volumes that you can find. Then you, you bring it all together. You present it to people in 45 minutes and then it's all gone, gone to the wind. Now you see why the word doesn't really impact us. It doesn't have the effect it has because it goes through one ear and out the other. It, nothing lands between. And remains there. But we said that it was according to truth. That's the first principle. We're not going to deal with that again. And then the second one is, is found in verses 3 to 5. It's about accumulated guilt. How much guilt you've accumulated. Uh, Paul talked about your treasures up wrath against wrath. And if you read the section, Paul has to do with the idea that when God judges you, it is how much guilt you have against God and how much guilt I have. There has to be some kind of a measure. By the way, there's some people in here who have not done as bad things as other people. I have to tell you about some of you brought them in a Christian home. Uh, you probably never heard a cuss word in your Christian home. Other people brought up in the ghetto. All they hear all the time is cuss words, cuss words, cuss words. So you, you can't expect that person to be judged by your same standard. And that's why Paul talks about accumulated guilt. If God is going to be fear, he can't treat me like he treat you if I had advantages you didn't have. He's got to treat me differently. And that is a, a matter of God. It is according to him. And then thirdly, we saw last time in verses 6 to verse number 10. It's according to our deeds, our acts, our works. And again, it's about how you live, how you conduct your life, your behavior. What do you do with your life? Is something tangible that God is going to deal with you with. 
So that in that great day when you stand before God and you are a big macho man with all the talk you've got right now. And you have got the fine art of able to wiggle your way out because you have a smooth tongue. And boy, can you find yourself, whatever situation you're in, you can talk yourself out of it. But then when God said, talk, stop, let's see what happens. And then he shows you your deeds, your works, your behavior, your conduct. And could I say, sir, argument finished. The Bible says every mouth should be silent before God. So not only according to truth, according to accumulated guilt, but according to, to deeds. And then when we come to verse 11 to 12, Paul introduces us to another principle. It's the principle of impartiality. Notice what he says in, in, in the passage I read to you in Romans chapter 2 verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. And then he goes on to say, they that sin without the law should be judged without the law. They that sin in the law should be judged by the law. But the point that Paul is saying here, God is no respecter of persons. Now I want to call your attention to three things before we deal with our text. Number one, I want you to notice that verses 13 to 15 is a parenthesis. Do you see that? For example, if you read, as I read to you, when you come to verse number 16, you say, well, wait a minute, what's verse 16 doing there? But if you read verse 11 and 12 and 16, you see that that's where the continuity is. So he has put this parenthesis in between verse 12 and verse 16. Now we, we need to understand that. So you need to read verse 11, 12 and 16 together. Let's do that. For there's no respect of person with God. For as a man, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secret of men by the man Christ Jesus. You see the secrets? Now we're going to come back to that parenthesis. We're going to deal with that, but we're not going to deal with that today. See? But the reason why Paul puts that parenthesis, because as Paul is writing on this subject and dealing with this, uh, Paul is always cognizant that somebody's objecting to what he's saying. So he anticipates there'll be objections to what he's saying. And that is why in the parenthesis, Paul responds to that tacit objection. We'll come back to that. So what I'm saying to you secondly is that you must read verse uh, 11, 12 and 16 together because they're sequential. And they all deal with the whole question of of judgment. And then the third thing uh, we talked about, of course, is that parenthesis uh, that we will deal with in the future. So now let us consider our text for just a moment. And I want to look at Paul's proposition that he gives us in verse number 11. For there is no respecter, respect of persons with God. Paul is talking about God's uncompromising impartiality when he deals with people. By the way, that phrase is an interesting phrase. When Paul said there's no respecter of persons with God... You know what that really means in the Greek language? It's one word. The Greek word is the word prosopolemptes. Uh, Big word. But you know what it means? It means there is no receiving of the face with God. So what Paul is telling us that when it comes to the matter of judgment, God doesn't give any consideration to what you, who you are. He doesn't look at your face and, 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 with favor. 
He is totally impartial. It doesn't matter who you are when you stand before God. and ju- It doesn't matter if you're pretty. You want to dazzle God? It doesn't matter if you're the prime minister's son. It doesn't matter if you're Mr. Obama or Mr. Trump. It doesn't matter if the Queen of England. What Paul is saying here in this passage, that God is not a person to receive a person's face. He doesn't show favoritism because of who you are. If you were to go through the Bible, and, and we don't have time to do that this morning, you'll find that frequently in Scripture, this matter of God's impartiality is something that we find frequently mentioned again and again in Scripture. You remember in uh, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 10, verse 21, and verse 34. You remember the story of Peter, the prejudiced Jew, the man that would not sit down with the Gentiles, and who thought that the Gentiles were outside the pale of God's salvation? And you remember that the Lord sent Peter to Cornelius' home. And uh, Peter had problems with that. And he had to take other Jewish brethren with him, lest Peter find himself in difficulty with the brethren. You know, how come you've gone over there with these Gentiles? But you remember that when, when Peter is there on the rooftop praying, the Lord gives Peter vision. And in that vision, there's a sheet and all kinds of four-footed beasts. And being a Jew, the command is given, kill and eat. And he said, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And then the Lord said, what I have made whole, don't you call unclean. Go down and this Cornelius is a Gentile. And then Peter says, now I know that there's no partiality with God. Now, the reason why Paul is dealing with all of this, because remember, he dealt with the Gentiles dealing with the Jew. The Jews thought they were the favorites of heaven. But now Peter is open to the, the fact that he was totally deluded. Totally deluded. And, and so that concept of partiality uh, is mentioned there in Acts chapter, uh, impartiality is mentioned in chapter 10. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. When Paul is given instructions concerning the, 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 the relationship between master and servant, between employer and employee. Yeah, Paul gives very, and he tells it, he tells them, listen, render to your master due benevolence. And then he turned around to the master and said, treat your servants with dignity and respect. And then he said, remember you all have one master and there's no partiality with him. See? Listen. Whether you know it or not, the only thing that brought slavery to an end is the Christianity here. Don't mind what the foolish people tell you. Okay? It is Christianity that brought slavery to an end. It is the Christian principle of equality that spoke to the conscience of England and America and eventually brought it to an end. But the idea was impartiality. God is impartial. See? And then we can go on in Colossians chapter uh, 3 and verse 25. Again, Paul emphasizes this matter of impartiality. Let me just say to you something here that uh, your face doesn't carry any weight in heaven. He doesn't receive your face. And I, and I, I wish some of the silly people around would understand that. You might be a great superstar down here. You might be a model down here. You might be a great entertainer down here. You might be an icon down here. But let me tell you something. God doesn't see the face. That doesn't count with him. 
And that's the point that the Apostle Paul is making, that God is so completely impartial. By the way, this concept of impartiality is also implied in Galatians chapter 6, verse 78. He said, God is not mocked, but whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. So it doesn't matter who the person is, you reap what you sow. It doesn't matter what your face look like, what your body look like, what your clothes look like, what your, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever we sow, the Bible says we're going to reap. He said, those that reap to the flesh should of the flesh reap what? Corruption. And they that sow to the spirit should reap what? Everlasting life. See? That is God's impartiality. Now this concept... Uh, of impartiality, we try to demonstrate it in a very practical term. You ever saw Lady Liberty yet? No, Lady Liberty, uh, Lady Liberty in America is a statue where she's blind. She has a blindfold over her eyes. The reason why she has a blindfold over her eyes is because whoever appears to her before her, she must not see who it is. She must treat every person equally. Without having any idea who the person is. And that's why symbolically. To illustrate the impartiality of justice and equity. Lady Liberty has got a blindfold over her eyes. Because it should not matter who you are. When it comes to the matter of justice. In other parts of the world. Lady Liberty is not a person that has a blindfold around her. Her hands are tied. You know why her hands are tied? It is symbolic that she cannot be bribed. See? That is the concept of justice. And that is how man, in order to demonstrate what justice should be, have tried to depict it symbolically. Whether you blindfold justice or you bind the hands of justice. The whole idea is it should be dealt with equally without favor. And that's what Paul is talking about here uh, this morning. Unfortunately for most of us, the best of us, and the best of human courts, it is very difficult for most human beings to give an honest and an impartial judgment. We take so many other things into consideration when we're making decisions, making judgment. And by the way, the impartiality of God in, in judging men if God could have been partial, do you not think he would be partial? Who was the highest ranking majestic being that God ever created? His name is Lucifer. We are studying the book of Ezekiel and then if you look at in Isaiah chapter 14, you will find that this is a, a being that was created and given a position, a supreme position. But if there's anyone that would have merited at least some consideration of partiality, it would have been he. But God kicked him out. See? His greatest creation, his greatest creature, he kicked out. Because God is a God of justice. And whether it be Lucifer, or whether it be you, or whether it be me, God is impartial. See? See? And even though we may feel that he might have merited some consideration, it didn't carry any weight with God. He was kicked out from heaven. So there was no clemency for him. The Apostle Paul 
is emphasizing in this passage that there is no respect of persons with God. God does not consider any man's face. See? I would like to make a comment here that uh, is not offended, intend to offend, but this, this CCJ thing that we have in the Caribbean. I'm a Caribbean man through and through. More Caribbean man than most people I know. Right? But I worry a little bit about that. See, I really do. I heard a, a justice in the um, paper wrote about that already, how uh, the, the people are trying to influence the, the judges. See? And that's what I have a problem with the, the CGJ. You can spit from one of these islands to another. You get some big man who has a big son who has t- tremendous wealth. His son gets into trouble. Now, I am not too sure that he, he is going to be dealt with as justly as I would have been who have no resources. And that's the concern I have when it comes to this whole matter. I think it's a wonderful thing because it breaks the colonial linkage that we've had with the past, being the Privy Council in England, being our, our last court of appeal. But at the same time, there is some safeguards there. They don't know us. They don't know what's going on over here. So in a very real sense, they can be so much more impartial than we could be because, listen, you'd be surprised how many politicians know each other in the Caribbean. That's my concern. Are we going to have an impartial system where everybody be treated equally? See? Well, sir, I want to tell you, don't have any problem with that with God. See, see, with God. Totally impartial. But I want to point out something else to you that Paul points out in this passage. Paul says that God's impartiality is governed by the human response to the amount of light that that person is given. Look what he says in verse number 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So what Paul is now saying is that God is impartial. The criteria, the standard by which God's impartiality is governed is how much light you have received and how you've responded to that light. That's why he compared, he puts humanity into two big groups here. One that were without the law, and one that have the law. And by the way, that in essence is the basic breakdown of humanity in the Bible. Not pink, blue, black, or green. Not Chinese, or not Japanese, or American, or Antiguan, or or Vincentian, or, or Barbadian. The basic breakdown of humanity in the Bible is whether you're a Jew or you're Gentile. See? There's a third category, by the way. There's the church. Who is neither Jew nor Gentile. He's in Christ. See? He could be a Jew. He could be a Gentile. But his national distinction is done away with because he's part of the body called Christ. So what Paul is saying here in the next case is this whole matter of amount of light. That a person had been exposed to. And the degree of light and how that person responded to that light. Will have an effect on the degree of punishment that person would receive. Notice that Paul first of all deals with the, the Gentiles. Look at verse 12. And as many as have sinned without the law. Shall also perish without the law. Every one of us so we're the fact. That in the case of the Gentiles they didn't have the written law. It was not codified and given to them like it was codified and given to the Jews. The Gentile is a man that lived without the written law. He had no codified law. He didn't have the Mosaic law. 
The law was not given to the Gentiles, it was given to the Jew. So here's a man who have never seen the law, never read the law, don't even know the dictates of the law. So he lives his life as though he doesn't have the information about the law. When that man is being judged, that man will be judged as though he had no law. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But by the way, in a similar way, a person who never heard the gospel will be judged as though he never heard the gospel. But he still will be judged. Now I hear somebody object to that secretly. Well, pastor, if he didn't have the law and he didn't have the gospel, how in the world God is going to judge him? Is that not unfair? Is that not being partial? Absolutely not. By the way, I was in St. Croix, uh, I think about two or three years ago for the conference. And I had to get my glasses changed. That's one of the reasons I went up there, by the way. It's much cheaper to change it up there. <laughs> but I remember I went into the optometrist and uh, I was waiting for the, my glasses to be thing. And, you know, I had to fill out the form and he saw that I was Pastor Murphy. And uh, realizing I was a pastor, he, he came to me and he had a conversation with me. He said, Pastor Murphy, tell me, is it not unfair people who have never heard the gospel? Now, he's an a East Indian fellow. Uh, Indian. Is it not a fear that God would judge the Hindus and, and God would judge the Muslims and God would judge everybody and these people have never heard the gospel and so on and so forth? Don't you think that's unfair? I tell him, no, it wasn't unfair. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But I said to him, I said, are you really concerned about the East Indian people? The Hindus and so on and so forth? I said, but if you really, really feel that you have to hear the gospel, Give up your practice. Give up your lucrative optometrist practice and sell all you got and go over there and preach to the pe- your people. If you're really, really concerned and you really think that, you know, they're going to be judged and it's unjust that they didn't hear, you want them to hear, you pay a personal price and you go and carry the gospel. Then, of course, he backed down then. Yeah, if you think the heathen are lost and it's unjust for God, the punishment, you really feel that way? Do something about it. You do something about it, see. But let me just say this to you, that whether the Gentiles have the law or not, or hear the gospel or not, the Bible makes it quite clear that God has not left himself without a witness. And we have dealt with this in Romans chapter number 1. The Bible says that every man has revelation. What is called general revelation. Natural revelation. And God has taken care to make sure that no man will stand before him and say, I didn't know. And God, according to Romans chapter 1, there are two things that God has done. The invisible things of him are known by the things that are created. Creation. Psalm says what? The heavens decay the glory of God. There's no voice or tongue where it's not heard. You don't need to have French or, or Spanish to look into the heaven and see the glory of God. Every man, whether he can speak German or French or English or, or Chinese or, or whatever, he can hear when he looks into the heaven, there is a God. This is too big to just happen. And then he looked at himself in the mirror and realizes, you can't be an accident. Why are your two eyes in one place? Why are you not one in your head and one down your chin? Why are your nose in turn up down? Why are your ears in the other way? See, see. Why are your hands in going up to the ear and not your side? 
Why one foot is up one place and the other, you know? You ever thought of, you think, someone, a great engineer, he's called God. Did all of this. And any man that look at himself in the mirror and think he's an accident, he's a fool. He's a fool. And by the way, could I say this? Take the greatest scientist in the world. I don't care who he is. And take one leaf off of any plant and tell him make that. Duplicate that. He can't. With all his brain, with all his knowledge, with all his intelligence, he can't duplicate even a little leaf. Do something else. Take a little ant and tell him make that and make it live. I cannot understand how stupid people are. It baffles me that any intelligent person could ever believe that these things just happen by chance. God has your name in the Bible. Do you know what it is? Fool. Mr. Fool. That's how God looks at you. But the other thing that God has given to man, which make man guilty, not only the revelation of creation. And Paul says the two things that man knows about God, his eternal power and Godhead, that he is divine and that he's all powerful. Those are two things every man knows. Now listen, people cringe before human power. Cringe before. But when you're in the presence of power, you feel intimidated. But do you feel that way, sir, looking at the great God of the universe? Does it ever intimidate you? You see why you're a rebel and why you're held guilty before God? The most powerful being on planet in the entire universe, you don't even yield to. But your teacher, if she threatened to beat you, yes, madam, yes, sir. If the police tell you stop, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. But a great big God, he tells you everything you need to know, you completely ignore him. Tell me you're not guilty, sir. Guilty, guilty before God. And then the second thing that Paul would point out, and it's in this chapter, is the matter of human conscience. Do you notice what he says in verse 14 and 15? For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these have not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience. You have a conscience? Listen, every man in here knows there's a God, and every man in here knows right from wrong. Every man here knows right from wrong. So how you feel about yourself now? You didn't hear the gospel, you didn't hear the law, but God wrote the law in your heart. And that is why whether a man has heard the gospel, a man has received the law, the Bible said he will be judged. But he will be judged as though he didn't have the law and he didn't have the gospel. But according to the fact, by general revelation, by conscience, that's the basis on which God will deal with him. Did you know there was a great God? Did you see my majestic work? Could anyone make this? Did you not know that when you did that thing it was wrong? Was there not a smiting in your breast? Was not a red light going on? And sir, if you be honest, you have to admit, yes sir, yes sir. And that's why Paul says that God's judgment is going to be impartial, but he cannot treat the Gentile like he treated you. So his impartiality is governed by how much light I have. How much light I be, how much truth I'm exposed to. How I responded to that truth. That becomes the criteria for God's impartial judgment.
Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us more about this judgment according to light. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.